If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is <laughs> Flatbed is like <laughs> so. This is the Flatbed Podcast, as always, brought to you by Classic Ropes. This podcast is brought to you by the partners and the sponsors of the Flatbed Podcast. Take a minute, hear what they got to say. You guys check out the ropingcalendar.com. There is an app in all of the stores, whether it's Apple, whether you've got an Android, whatever the case may be. Search Roping Calendar. This is the fastest way to find only the information that you're looking for. I know that Arizona can be chaotic. There can be a lot going on. The most comprehensive, up-to-date list of the events that you can find in Arizona are at Roping Calendar. Check it out in the App Store. Check out the website. You can search by date. You can search by location. You can search by event. You can even search by jackpot number. So say you're looking for a specific number of jackpot. You click on that tab. It'll take you only to the flyers that have what you're looking for. Ropingcalendar.com is the website. Roping Calendar in the App Store. It is the fastest growing website in Arizona for roping-related events. 300,000 page views in its first winter. Over 40,000 unique users. Find what you're looking for at the Roping Calendar. Fifth, fifth NFR, third time the team roping. Does it feel like going into it this year, is it starting to settle into normal or do you still get that like excited, anticipating it, ready to be there? Where would you rank it on your level of previous years? Oh, it's for sure exciting. Um, it's, it's weird. I remember the first time I made it, like being in the tunnel and, you know, I thought I was just going to be jacked up, but... It was. It's pretty quiet back before you go in. So I mean, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant, but it's it's really just another rodeo to me. I mean, yeah, there's a lot on the line, but like when you're back in there, it doesn't really feel like there's any added pressure. And I mean, I try to keep it pretty simple, anyways, to where we're we're excited. And I mean, after being there a few times, you know, you know what's coming. So you know where you're gonna park. You know where you're gonna eat. You know where yeah. you're gonna stay. Those kind yeah, of things. That. Sure. That's I've heard I've heard from so many people. It's almost the moment of anticipation is almost more like driving over the hill and you see the lights and you're like, man, it's yeah. here. Well, just like these last two practice sessions we've had, it's like can't quite you you can't wipe the smile off your face. You're just you know it's here. It's time and you put all the work in and it's 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 fun to be here. Do you feel like that like in preparation because the rodeo season ends way before the finals? Like in in any other sport, I don't know any other sport that's got what seems like a six month break between the end of the season and the finals. So, do you kind of structure your fall around because you got the maturities, you got all the stuff you're doing with young horses and stuff like that? Does it feel like just a marathon getting ready for basically in the next two days before you leave? Mm. Not really. You know, I don't like I don't practice NFR style tell like we started a week ago. So I just I think the fundamentals for me, like riding the, the young horses and all that, it's actually good for me. And then when it is time to just go rope and get ready for this, like it's fresh. And, you know, even from the end of the year till now, I feel like I've just learned a lot and refreshed my mind. So it's it's good for me, the break. So, with the the year that you're having in the futurity deal, I mean, I think I I think that's kind of changing the shape 
of horse trainers because you, you go back even like 10 years ago if you're handy with a horse that's great but it really just benefited your your roping now there's actually like outlets for that looking for young horses having places to go with them when you're done and things like that when you look at your your horsemanship career as a whole whether it's the rodeo and whether it's young horses stuff like that where do you go to ask questions like who do you go to that goes okay i'm working on this i want to get better like you said you just learned you've learned stuff this fall where do you go for stuff like that um well <clears throat> we have a kid that's working for us it's cow horse guy and i mean as far as just riding i learn a lot from him just by watching but i mean with social media nowadays for me like i just study the game yeah. you know the best guys out there i'm trying to pick something up whether i'm asking them or just visualizing but i don't i i think for me like you got your trevor you know the guys that have been at the top like i'm always picking their brain i'm i'm not that guy that's got it figured out i'm i, I want to get better you know all the time whether it's horsemanship roping and i think that's what's cool about it is you know sharp roping makes good horses period right like right yeah if you can add feel and all that it's even better but like if you can't rope sharp then you're gonna have a hard time giving those horses good timing barry burke said that i mean i remember as a, like a little kid because blair had all those good horses there for a while like it was like almost every single good horse in the world seemed like it belonged to him during it yeah. And Barry used to say that you cannot make great horses without great ropers. There is something to that. You've got to be able to get it all out of them with your rope, too. For sure. What? So tell me about the restaurant. How long were you in entering the PRCA rodeos, traveling, kind of getting out of Utah and getting out into the world? How long were you rodeoing before people quit calling you Ren Richard? <laughs> hey, they still call me Ren still? Richard. <laughs> no, it was a couple of years. Yeah. So what's because I, I was I was telling you just a little bit before we started I really don't know I don't know your family I don't know really anything about you guys and then all of a sudden it was like oh was it 2008 when you started yeah something like that and mm -hmm. you started off healing is that right yes sir what was it what was life like before that because there was football right mm -hmm. what like, walk yeah, me through I mean we that's what we did football yep we played sports yeah I mean we we roped for sure but like. We were in team sports all the way up till I graduated. Baseball, played basketball till I was a freshman in high school. That was kind of our break to rope. Stayed in, the in shape during the winter. <laughs> but football was, I mean, my dad's a football guy. He's born and raised in South Louisiana. That's where the name is. Your dad's from Louisiana? From. Yeah. So it's actually pronounced Richard. Richard. And uh, <clears throat> they moved to Utah in the 70s had started an oil build or oil field company and my dad went to college played college football and come back and started running it where did he play uh, college football southern utah it's in cedar city so real quick your family moves from louisiana to utah was that your grandparents that made yes, the sir. move and then he was with them and he was younger i think my dad was a seventh or eighth grader when okay. they moved and my mom was from the town we live in now roosevelt so yeah that's kind of how we got to Utah anyways. How do you, was there just an opportunity there or was there some ties yeah. in Utah? My grandpa was working with a guy and there was just available business in Utah and he drove a wireline truck from South Louisiana and started working and just was one of those old school guys that just, that's all he knew was 
just work, work, work. Yeah. It's amazing. You, like you hear stories about like the pioneers or the 49ers during the gold rush and like people that would sacrifice and go for it. Cause they think there's an opportunity. You're like, ah, the good old days. And, like people still do that. There's still people who are like, Hey, I think this is going to work and it's going to come at a sacrifice and off they go. And then it does work. Yeah. And then your dad, he goes, plays football, comes back. And then that's, he runs that now. Yep. Grandpa's still around. No, grandpa passed away three years ago. So dad takes over the business and then yeah. you guys. Are and then my dad's been running it for probably the past 30 years, really. So my grandpa had a couple back surgeries and was pretty beat up physically. And I mean, he was involved, but he couldn't go out in the field and work. So yeah. is that something you think you want to do when you're done with all this or absolutely not? I think mm. I, I think of Jake and Jim Cooper when I ask that question. because Yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't mind. You know, I don't I know nothing about it. I just, my dad's always tried to keep me away from it. And oh, really? Yeah, like, I, I'm i sure I'll be involved a little bit, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing now. Like, my passion is the horses, and we're trying to put a program together with our own mares and studs. And, I mean, I think if the fraternity world keeps growing like it is, like, I think there's a legit business, yeah. you know, opportunity in doing that. So that's kind of what I'm wanting to do. So you played, I want to get to that in a second, but you played football for how long? Well, I played all the way through high school and had some opportunities to go play after and just had the rodeo bug bad. And my dad actually kind of, he was not steering me away, but he's like, you want to play in the NFL? And I'm like, well... I guess every kid would want to play in the NFL. Yeah, but, I, I, I feel mean, like I want to say yes, but I feel like you're wanting me to say no, and, so no. <laughs> and he was like, well, if you're not just dead set on that's what you're going to do, then why waste four years of your life to go beat your body up for yeah. a cool experience when you can go rodeo now? He's talking about, you know, there's a study, it's called CTE, and we're like, we're not real sure what's going on with that. Maybe yeah, rodeo. And I just, I mean... The way I wanted to play the game was pretty physical, and I really wasn't just a big specimen, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I graduated at 200 and, and wasn't just a big guy. So What position did you play? Played strong safety and quarterback. Yeah. I kind of got 50-50 recruited as a quarterback and as a safety. So I ended up going back after a year rodeoing, and I played at a junior college. You did? Yeah. Well, so that would be like Snow 09. College is what it was called. I actually, it was just spring ball. Uh -huh. I had a, I kind of had a shoulder in high school a little bit. And then spring game, come up and hit a kid and my labrum, tore my labrum. And that was kind of the end of it. Yeah. Takes the fun out of it. Like <laughs> it feels like, it feels like there's a certain age where you can do almost anything and you bounce. When that changes, I feel like it reprioritizes a lot of things in people's lives. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's probably it. I'll that. never forget the kid. He was a JUCO All-American, about 5'11", <laughs> 250, fullback. I mean, like I said, I was 205, and I hit him as hard as I could. And I mean, from my left ear down, just numb. And he just kind of shook his head and high-fived me and said, good hit, bro. I went back to the huddle, and I thought, you know what? I feel like I've just had I a realization. I think I might just go rodeo. <laughs> So when, when in there did the rodeo, because you said you had the rodeo bug at the end of high school, when did that go from like, did you always like it even when you were little? Oh yeah. I mean, I remember probably every night till I was 15 years old falling asleep to the BFI. Like, yeah, it's always what I wanted to do. I, I would have said, cause I, you know, grew up roping calves and that was all I wanted to do. Like I wanted so badly to like sit in the truck with the guy and we weren't around 
a ton of the guys that rodeoed. Some would come through every now and then. But like, that's all I wanted to do. It's all I wanted to do. And if for a million dollars, if somebody would have said, what do you want to do with your life? I, on my life would have said, that's all I want. It's the only thing I want. And I think the older I've gotten and I look back and it, like you see things from an adult perspective, right? You look back and you go like, I did, I did love it. It's always been the horse deal. I've always, always loved horses. And the better, it's like, not that you don't appreciate what you got at all, but there's always that thought for the next one. And like, if you guys are raising horses, you're there too. Cause you're thinking like, man, this is what it is, but this is what it could be. Mm -hmm. um, grew up around cutters, grew up around rainers, grew up around just cool, cool personalities and horses. And I wish, I almost wish I would have understood that earlier. I think I almost, if I feel like that would have helped me a lot to have that realization of like, no, I really love the horse thing. That's really the thing that's the most exciting to me about it. When you look at the rodeo and thing, is it, is it more that, or is there actual, the actual rodeo and part of it that you still just can't get enough of? Eh, the competing part is, you know, I'm addicted to that. There's a lot of parts of rodeo that I do not like. What's your I mean, least, what's your <clears throat> least favorite? Just the travel, you know, and being away. Like, do you think that when some, <laughs> do you think that when someone hears you say that, and you're like, yeah, it's just the travel, and then they've seen your bus and they're traveling around a truck, like the tire might fall off. Do you think there's going to be somebody who hears that's like, oh, really? It's tough to travel. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> it's you the know. being gone. It's the it's the middle of the night drives and yeah. And that. I mean, like, you don't always have the nice stalls. We, we bought that bus when I had my first little girl, you know, so she could come and do the deal. Absolutely. And I, I had a back. Like, I hurt my back in 2016. Doing Missed what? the whole rodeo season. You I missed ruptured, all of 16? I ruptured, what was it, your bottom disc and then had a couple bulging discs. How did you do that? Grew up in calves. Yeah, it was right before Red Bluff. I'll never forget. It, it was, was the one at the moment you knew it happened. <clears throat> yeah, like I... I couldn't walk for probably a week and then went in, was going to do surgery. And there's actually a guy there in town that I got in contact with and did the decompression, how they mm -hmm. pull your spine mm -hmm. apart and let the blood go back into your discs. And I did that for probably five years. Goodness. So, I mean, for me to get in a truck and drive no, for two for hours. Sure. For sure. Wasn't happening. Right. So. So the being gone. The going and doing it rodeoing's weird in that way that you said you missed the whole 2016 season i didn't i mean i don't i don't really stay up with it like i did but rodeoing's weird i think in that way and i think i think it's kind of a panicky feeling for people the first time they're not there and rodeoing keeps going and doesn't miss them you know they say it's like walking out into the ocean it makes room for you and then when you walk back out it doesn't miss you it's weird how quickly things move on without you yeah anybody anybody sure. there's not one person that can't that can shut down rodeo by not being there no doubt so when does that you come back in 2017, does that kind of like reignite fire to, to do it more? Yeah, so I come back, and then I cut my thumb off. What? Yeah, I cut my thumb off. and How is it possible that I know so little about it? I can't remember if that was – I think that might have been 2018. And, yeah, I, yeah, I was actually healing. I was roping with Rich, and I was riding one of his young horses in the practice pen, just freak deal, like – wasn't in a bind at any any way and just put it on the horn and boom it got half of it there at the joint and, and did it was it all the way off instantly yeah well it was hanging by a yeah. thread might but, as well be. i mean yeah it was gone so and they were able to get it back is how much i've got about three quarters of it back but it's it's dangster different like it's numb i can't yeah. really feel it it took me a while to 
kind of get that figured out. Does it again. grow the weird little bulb fingernail oh, yeah. on the end of it? Oh yeah. And you got to kind of like keep up with it, keep because the, they, if they don't get the nail bed right. Well, they, they that's the thing that sucked is they put it all back on, everything was good, and then it got infected like a month after, so they had to go in there and cut a geez. bunch of it off, and yeah, it was pain. Pain wise, how does that compare to like the disc or the labrum? It was terrible. It was worse. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't think that just a finger could be that bad, but... Your nerve I'm, endings are all in yeah, it, though. I've I mean, never had pain like that in my life. It was terrible. So that was 2018? Yep. How long, like, recovery time, back to where you felt like you were functional? It was four months before I roped a steer. And even then, it was probably a year before I got back to actually... Did that affect roping. the calf roping? I'm trying to think, like, through a calf roping yeah. run. Because your string, picking string, there's so much texture and feel in a string. Yeah. And I think if a guy hasn't roped calves, that'd be hard to explain. But that string is really only bends one way. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of tying, you're trying to keep that string bending the direction it's supposed to go. And there's a lot of feel that goes into that. My biggest deal was when I would go to grab the string out of my mouth, I would feel like I have it. And then when I would go to turn it over to you put it on one the front leg, it would just fall out of my hand. Yeah. And I just, Do you feel like it right now in where you're at, how old are you? 33. Do you feel like the calf roping's kind of on its way out now? Or oh, for sure. Not not because of my hips have been terrible the last couple of years. Like, yeah. that's what sucks for me. Is, I, quit I, rope, mean, I quit roping calves when I was 33 because I couldn't get out of bed. Labrum issues in my hips, a yeah. bone on bone. Like, it was, I'm the same it was done. It was, I've they, got two labrums in both hips. I did the injection deal for about three years. Yeah. Even the last year I made the finals, like, I couldn't tie the calves out there. I mean, it was yeah. terrible. And it sucked because I had three of the best horses I've ever had in my career. By far, I'm the better Sorrel, mentally than I've ever been. The yeah. young Sorrel. I had a Sorrel. You had Dundee at that point, the yep. Buckskin? Yep. And then I had another young Sorrel that Peyton Bray actually bought him this last summer. And, I mean, he's he needs another year of it, but horses, he's for real. Was there a bay in there somewhere? Did you have a big bay? Yeah, I had a couple bays. I feel like I remember, I don't know about any of the injuries, and I remember the horses, but there was a bay. I was kind of a darker, almost like a blood bay there for a little mm-hmm. while, calf roping horse. Called him Little Joe. Where'd he go? Justin Brinkerhoff bought him. Yep. He come from Blake Deckard. There you go. That's two podcasts a, in a row with Blake Deckard come up. He was a good horse. I didn't realize that's who he came from. But yeah, I, I, that was the one I just that stands out in my memory. Yeah, he was. Rank kind of funny on the end of it in certain places but like where he was good on his places yeah sucker was so yeah. good nasty yeah so if calf opens on the way out how much of what you because who where like horsemanship stuff where did all that come from was are you from a family mm-hmm. of horsemen my dad's dang sure a horseman just as the horse himself confirmation yeah. and all that but just learning i just always been that guy that's been into it yeah you know i tried to cut a little bit in high school and had a kid that worked for us it was a cow horse guy and went to this guy that guy now i've got this other kid hired that worked for kelby phillips and i mean just kind of an accumulative sort of a thing how much of what you i'm comparing it to my own story i spent so many years with such a low budget on the kind of horses i could afford and i didn't have the ability to go out when just didn't work out like every horse I owned, everything I owned was wrapped up in it for a long time when I was a kid. I mean, that was like, I'd save up my one if it didn't work at some. But because of those, because of those years, if there was tricks, if there was like, you had to learn to get by one, I feel really actually fortunate now looking back on it 
so much of what I learned in the calf roping translates to the team roping. You know, getting one to do it with their feet instead of their mouth. You can't make a calf horse with a bit. How much of what you learned in the calf roping years in the era, because you were team roping also, but how much of those years do you feel like translates to the young horses you're dealing with now? Oh, a ton. Especially the way you have to rope on a young horse. I would say it's more like riding a calf horse than a head horse. And that's the hard, like, when I'm trying to help somebody that's a team roper, it's like they just don't understand how to get a horse in your hand and, you know, teach him how to drive and all the things that make a really good horse good. Well, and, like, I'm riding young horses, outside horses now, and in the beginning, team roping is not right and left. In the beginning, I think, and I'm curious what you think, but in the beginning when they're kind of learning their deal, it's really more forwards and backwards. I want to be able to run to a steer. I want to be able to back off a little bit. I want to be able to slow down in that same – I mean, in the exact same line they got there in. Well, that's all calf roping. No left, no right, just straight forward, slow down, back, back into it. And without that foundation, it seems like they start cheating. They start going to their front end, especially head, and it seems like they want to start getting ahead of it. And I don't know how you – I don't know how you would maybe explain that to somebody that hasn't experienced a calf rope and run. Yeah, that I mean, I've never heard somebody say that, but it, things should make sense. I I I ride mine the same way. Like I want them soft off the left rein, and I don't want them leaning on my left side at all. And so yeah, it's I I don't know how you teach that without somebody you know having to go rope calves and see what it's like to ride one that's wanting to duck over there to the. The bleachers. So. I, t- I tell people every time, like, hey, and I, I tell you what I think I'm I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go to an expensive first month. Like, if somebody wants to send an outside horse, the first month is expensive because that is where it goes so slow and they've got to have so much more time until they're willing to go full on straight to a sled, stay in their same tracks. You rope, and I don't mean rope, stop. I mean rope, slow down until the rope gets tight, let the rope slowly pop off. That's hard to get there, but if they'll do it, after that first, you know, 30 or 45 days, if that if they've got that foundation first, you can always go back to it. Then I'd go to almost cheaper after that. It's it's without it. I don't I really don't know how to make one without that first initial commitment to forward straight stop and back up. So mm-hmm. with your horses now, do you where do you want to get involved in the process? Like I know you said you got mares and stuff like that, but where do you go? Okay, I'm ready for that one to be something I'm going to put my influence on. <clears throat> well, in a perfect world for our deal right now, I want to get them kind of in the middle of their three-year-old year after this kid's had them that's working for us. Trinity Haggard's his name. It's a great hand. But, you know, the one thing I've kind of noticed in the cow horse deal compared to ours is just the stride. Like, those guys want them really reaching. And for me, like, I want them tight-strided mm-hmm. and quick-footed, and I want their butts up under them all the time. So it usually takes me probably a month to get them how I want them in the bridle. And then, like you said, I'm going to spend 60 days just teaching them horses how to run the correct way and gather and stay in that same frame all the time. Do you think – I made a huge mistake. And looking back on it, I'm really glad I made it. But I bought that gray horse off a Facebook ad, and he was all running blood. And I was like, I want to train a racehorse just because I haven't, and I want to know what it's like. Looking back on it, it was the stupidest way to look at that. Like, I, I wouldn't recommend that because he was so patterned. If you taught him something, he would just do the pattern. He wasn't a thinker. He didn't think. 
We're going to take a quick break and go to some advertisers. Here's what I want you to consider. This podcast is so specific that if there are people advertising on this podcast, they are saying they want to do business with people who are specifically interested in what you're interested in. These are great companies, great people, friends, people that I would want to do business with, and they have said they want to do business with you specifically. Since its launch in 2014, the 1017 Project has donated over 1.2 million servings of hamburger. It's a program that raises rope and steers. We have lease cattle, jackpot steers, and we, when we're done with those, they transition into the food banks. We've partnered with over 65 different food banks between Oregon, Arizona, and Texas. Let me tell you how you can be a part of it. This winter in Arizona, if you have a steer that's a ducker or a dragger or breaks a horn, something that would cause him to not be useful as a rope and steer, think about donating him to the 1017 Project. You can also find out other ways to be a part of making a difference in the lives of the food insecure families who need our help at 1017project.com. The world is changing at such a rapid pace right now and it's easy to see the role that technology is playing in that. In some ways it's a positive thing and an example of that would be Lone Star Cowboy Church in Montgomery, Texas. It's located in Montgomery, Texas, but it is also located anywhere that you've got internet access. And I happen to know firsthand that they take their online campus just as seriously as people who attend in person. They do a great job of reaching out. It is a really easy place to get connected and stay connected, to go deeper in the word, to have a better understanding of what's taught there. Uh, I would recommend check out LoneStar.tv, LoneStar.tv to be a part of Lone Star Cowboy Church in Montgomery, Texas. It is by far the widest reaching cowboy church in the nation. Pastor Randy, Pastor Darla Weaver, near and dear to my hearts. I cannot recommend it enough. Check them out. Because he was so patterned, if you taught him something, he would just do the pattern. He wasn't a thinker. He didn't think his way through it at all. I, I wouldn't face him. He wanted to face, like, from the beginning. And so for, like, two weeks, I wouldn't let him face. I would just kind of run in there, slow, try to slow him back down, and I wouldn't let him face. The first time I tried to make him face he wouldn't do it. He literally grabbed the bit and lopes in a circle the exact same way that I've been letting him do it. It was just a completely different experience. With the running blood in them, do you think that that's a more important? Let me think how to say this. Foundationally, do you think it's more important to get them to back into you in the beginning? Because a racehorse, everything's forward. It's like if you put a line six inches in front of the horse and six inches behind the horse and they're loping. It feels like the rainers want to be closer to that back line behind their butt. They're just kind of slow and you're kind of having to hurry them off of it. Whereas a racehorse, it's like their nose is going to be pushed right towards the front of the lope. Like they're always wanting to go forward. How do you get one to commit to running to a steer and then also commit to like pulling back up and shortening their stride once you get there? So that might be the longest question. Are you meaning like getting a racehorse that's been raced or just running blood? I've never started a horse that's been raced. I've, I've been on a lot of running horse blood, but I, I, it's, I don't think I could do it. To be honest, I'm, I'm, it would make me nervous that I would never get that out of them because yeah. it's almost like their throttle gets stuck. If somebody hasn't rode them, it's all, I've been around tons of racehorses. Like we made calf horses out of them, but it's like the throttle gets stuck. You turn it up and it's fine, but once it gets to a certain speed, it sticks open. And then you're like, no, 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 back down. And like, it's, they're designed if they're supposed to be successful on a track, they're designed that like that throttle doesn't come back off. Yeah, it's tough. The hardest part that I've had, it's really not like the blood of a racehorse. It's okay. more the confirmation that I've had that I've struggled with because I've trained three or four of them that were on the track and were successful on the track that made cool horses. They're good, but as soon as I started hauling them, they'd get sore or like they would be doing things that they weren't made to do. 
Yeah. Right. So yeah, I'd have this badass head horse that would run up there and really want to get on his butt and pull, but he was weak in the loins. So he'd get sore in the loins. Well, then he didn't want to score. Then what good is it? Now he's running. He doesn't want to rate. So that's more why I'm not in on the full blood. Yeah. Unless you've got one that's, you know, just like the gray. That horse is made plenty good to be a head horse. I yeah. think that's why he's good. He's strong in the right places. He doesn't get too sore about it. And I think if if they're made to do it, I think you're fine. Well, and like fast forward to today, what makes that horse so good is he doesn't think. Yeah. Ever at all. Like he's the kind of horse you could throw the lead rope over the top rail of the fence and walk off and he would be there a year later. Like he just doesn't think. And so it's a really an advantage because lightning's going to do what he does. And that horse like, great. I didn't have a plan anyway. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Only if you could breed that into him, you <laughs> yeah. have something. Yeah. What, so confirmation from what you see in the racehorses to what you're looking for, where's the biggest difference that you see? What do you look for that you like to get away from the get sore? So like a lot of them are pretty straight behind their hawks aren't up under them enough. And then just over the top of their loins, like there's just not enough horse there. Like they're, they're a little smaller up top and they're just, they're made to be long to run, you know? Um, most of the time a front end on a racehorse is way better than a front end on a cow horse. Like you see a lot of cow horses that are pretty heavy. They come out of their shoulders, you know, like their legs are like posts. They're not real V'd up in the front end and they come out of their shoulders pretty low. Like I want my horses to be real clean in the neck where you know, they can be athletic with their front When you end. say clean in the neck, do you mean tying in high on the shoulder? Like yeah. not tying in too deep? Yeah, I don't want them tying in low. And then I want their throat latch to be clean. Yeah. What, the horse that won the Futurity this year, what's he, is he cow horse? He's cow horse on the bottom, running on the top. And did he come, he come from the Flag Ranch? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, I have a question about them because... It seems like out of maybe it's just I wasn't aware of it. I think they've been good for a long time, but it's like all of a sudden you're seeing horses from that ranch all over the place. What is it about what they're doing that gets the attention of somebody that's doing it for a living? Well, for one, he's breeding a good horse. That's the main thing. Is you know the guy knows horse flesh. I think he spent a lot of time getting the right kind of mares and the studs. Um, he dispersed like. I don't know how many years ago, three or four years ago, and sold a lot of his good mares. So now he's kind of down to just a few. I don't know if he's trying to build it back up or what he's doing, but I actually met Larry from through a friend out here in Arizona and just got to talking to him and picked his brain about it because he was riding two pretty cool-looking horses. And uh, I ended up setting a time to go up out there and, I got there and couldn't believe it. Like there was 20 head tied to the fence that you would pick yeah. like, just looking at them. And so I actually bought like five or six of them that trip and two of them are the horses that did good. It's the bay, the big bay. The big bay and, the, and the gray mare. Kind of the, is that the gray is a mare? Mm-hmm. She's kind of a little heavier stockier built one. Yeah. Did I see, maybe I'm making this up, did I see that you had her kind of in the NFR setup in the practice mm-hmm. the other day? I, I actually had to quit riding her <laughs> because I was tempted to try her. She was so good. Well, I was going to ask, like, those horses, you ride a lot of young horses. You've got a pretty good feel. It's, you know, the, it's not like you're just guessing. You do this enough, you, you've got an idea of what they're going to be. Mm-hmm. That I was going to ask, is there ever a time where one's like, no, I'm ready, and you're like, shoot, you kind of act like you are. 
That's no, her. She was, she's ready for sure. Would, I just would she go as a backup this year? She could, but I'm not gonna. I just she wants to be sharp enough on the. She's heads. really quick footed, super quick footed. You but just don't just, see that horse from what I've seen of her. You don't see her getting her feet in the wrong spot ever. No. And in a little setup like that, it would be hard not to be tempted because you know she's always going to have her feet like i'm i'm 90 percent sure that i've got a good enough foundation on her that she's gonna do what i tell her but she's just always that horse like going to the cow where you can feel it a little bit Mm -hmm. but she won't do it she just rides just on the passing but but i think nowadays like sometimes that's what you need to win so my plan is to just kind of Rider this summer, maybe rider like a San Antonio, somewhere where the steers are going to be light, where she's not just, just having to hook try. on and try to pull the horns together. But yeah. I mean, she just she's been seasoned. Like I've jackpotted on her a little bit, and I've taken her to all those shows. She's a cool mare, so I, I hope. What she are you going to take? I'm going to ride the same horse I rode last year. He's old, black brown. or brown. He's 19 years old, and just he's so easy. What he makes fits him, that deal too. What makes him good at that setup? Well, me personally, like I, I don't want my horses getting tight. Right. I want to make them be strong, and that horse is just super forgiving. Like naturally wants to be real forward going to him. He's got a ton of, you know, cow smart in him. Like he's not going to overrun the cow, yeah. and I want to hook onto the steer in a certain place for me, and he makes it easy to do that. Like. The first year I team roped there, I rode a little buckskin that would just, he made stuff happen so fast. And by about the third round, it was happening too pretty fast. much a blackout. Like, <laughs> I remember thinking Pulling I called the steer, and then it was just a race. <laughs> and so last year, it was by about the third round when I knew my horse was going to stay up under me and let me work the cow in that yeah. setup. It was pretty fun it looks to me and i know that there will be people listening who are like nobody cares what you think i've never been there but it looks to me like forward in that arena is maybe more important than anything else because if that horse is moving away from the steer and you got more rope out there there's nowhere to go so i would i would think naturally you would want one that's going to take care of the forward first before anything else because like you said if it's tight when you put it on the horn You've got some options at that point. Even if you're, even if you do end up having to come up the wall, at least you're not two coils back. And so, I'm curious. I'm curious if that, like the best advice I've ever had on team roping there, was from Al Bach a year ago, and he of course said, it was. you know, I hadn't been around Al a ton for the last couple of years, but I'm I'm on the Smarty team, and we got to talking a little bit, and he just said, you know the best way to give you a chance to win a gold buckle is to catch 10 steers. So however you're doing your practice sessions, try to formulate a run where you truly think that you can go catch 10 of them. Yeah. And so for me, the best way for me to go catch 10 steers is to just slow everything down, get easy goes, have your horse to where it's not a race between you and him <laughs> on who can do right. it faster. So. Right. You know, I I messed up twice last year at the finals, and both times it was just I was I got going too fast. So for me, if I can just slow my first swing down, make sure I'm going to the cow when I hit the line, and just give myself an easy coil, coal and a half shot, 
that's what I'm going to try to do. How hard is that to do 10 days in a row when you're seeing guys win rounds and it's like 27,000 a night? I would feel like it would be – it's like a runner, right? Like the guys that run the 400 meter. Like you have to let guys get out in front of you a little bit. You're pacing yourself so that by the end of the race you're you're full bore. I feel like that would be almost a similar sense of like wanting to – especially if you're a competitive person that, hey, they're winning and I want to be doing that. How hard is that to just run your race out there? It's it's tough. Like for me – it's just the hardest part about the whole deal out there is exactly what you just said. Like you cannot worry about what so-and-so does it. It will screw you up so bad. Even last year, like I was listening to books and doing my deal, like actually working at the mental game out there to, to where when you do get in that tunnel and you're about three away, all these thoughts are going into your mind and you can just fight it off and stick to what you do. Right. So this year being that you've, been there before you feel like you're at a little bit of an advantage like you know what to expect or how to prepare yeah I mean I don't mean roping I mean mentally like just what you're saying I I'm gonna try to stick to what I know works for me I mean I'm not I'm not saying I'm gonna go out there and do this or that because I I know how it is like a guy could go out there and miss them all it's it's tough but I think if a guy can go out there mentally and just trust that what you've been doing is the right thing don't get caught up in what Lightning's doing or Clay Smith's doing or whatever. Just do your deal, you know, one steer at a time. Don't worry about the times. Just go make the best run you can make and try to have the little wins within your run. Yeah. And I, for me, I think that's how I'm going to win the most out there. Yeah. So what about your family now? They still are they just all in on all this? Do they love it? Do they have oh, other yeah. interests? Yeah, I have the best support team as far as family, like. What are they into? Awesome. Are they are they like super bought it? Like, cause your wife, what's her name? Chalice. Chalice. Is she all about the horse deal? Loves it, or she got her own yeah. deal and she just no, loves she's, you doing yours? She's all in. Is she ropes. She don't rope a whole lot anymore. I need to get her roping again. We got these little girls that are Chalice. If you're listening, shout now. out. Yeah, Chalice. She's she's probably telling everybody that she supports me and doesn't have time to rope so <laughs> <laughs> she's the good one that got herself on the back burner riding <laughs> doing all the young horse stuff yeah so what does it look like five years from now if everything goes the way that you're building it to go in five years from now what's different than than it is today like what's the number one thing you'd like to see sort of brought into your your picture as far as the rope horse deal or um no maybe just as far as just in general or is there, is there anything that you've got your mind set on right now of what you'd like to work well towards? i will i feel like i'm getting close to like i want to make a good living with a rope whether it's rodeo on i want to have a place paid for in utah i want to have my own little deal i i want to possibly have a place out here um and Ken, I want to be able to do that. Ken Bray, to add to what you just said, Ken Bray said one time, I thought it was so simple and so cool. He said, not very many people get to make a living in a cowboy hat. And if you do, you're pretty lucky. And that, as simple as that is, there's a lot of truth to that. Like, yeah. even if it's hard, even if you're working hard, even if you're pouring a lot into it, like if you're getting to build a life in a cowboy hat and you didn't have to give it up and go move to town somewhere to do it, man, a guy's pretty lucky to even have that in his list For of goals. Sure. And I've been super lucky, just the people that... I get to be around every day. Like my dad, he's he's just a freaking well the way he runs his business and everything, like I feel like it's rubbed off onto me and I think if you do the right things every day and you actually run whatever you're doing the right way, like I think you're successful. Yeah. 
So that's that's how I want to be when I'm when in five years from now, you know, I want to have a business through our little deal and and I want to to make a good living doing what I'm doing. Where do the horses go in that in that business? Where do your horses go? And I think back to like the the real dark Palomino horse that the did the Richie's bought that horse. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So I know that there are times that you will sell one. Is that kind of the goal is to bring horses into the market and see them go on and be successful somewhere else? What's the what's the end result for your young like horses I, coming up? I just I want to have five seven year olds every year that they just. I can't afford to keep them. Yeah. Like I want those horses by the time they go through the whole process, by the time they're seven, like you got guys just lined up wanting to buy them. Yeah. Is there a, is there like an excitement to you to see something that you've created with someone else having success, like in the tens and 11s, 12s, stuff like that? Absolutely. And you know, like I want my horses to all have that look. Yeah. I want the confirmation. I mean, color's cool, but I'm more like I confirmation want the color. I want the horses to be made right. Yeah. I want them big and fleshy. Like when they get done showing their six year old year, you know, you've got five horses that are going to bring a lot of money. When you say a lot, give people an idea. Cause if somebody's sitting here listening to this going like, all right, I want it in line. What's a horse like that supposed to cost? Well, I mean, I think that brown horse brings 150000 all day, in my opinion. Like, I know what the market's doing right sure. now. Um, I don't know. We turned down 200000 for that gray mare. Really? So, I mean. Is she going to just stay in your breeding program? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of, she's, I mean, confirmation-wise, you, you can try to pick her apart, but you're going to have hell. Right. Like, she's right. pretty right. She's about as pretty as anything. And she's going, you know, with the social media stuff now, like everybody knows her. So yeah. in my mind, I think her yearlings will bring 50,000. So for me to sell her for $200,000, she's six years old. Right. It just doesn't really pencil. Will she get to quit her career early to go be a broodmare? I hope not. I'd like to just, you just flush her. Say and you're thinking about rodeo on, on her, and so it'd be hard to want to get off of her. I'd like to flush her, and then I would like to use that mare and have her help me make a living. Let her go know? be the next dolly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying – I know I'm not going to rodeo for longer than four or five years, for sure. Really? But, like, I just – I like good horses, man. Yeah. I mean, I think that mare, when she's 15, she'll, she'll be amazing. So, yeah. Well, and that's – as simple as that is, kind of like back to Ken's statement, like we try to make it more meaningful than it is. Rodeo and rodeo. We're not changing the world, rodeo. We're not changing the world by creating team roping horses. We're not making the world a better place through that. But I think it's okay for somebody to go, like, I love good horses. And I love that being something that I get to invest my time and my life into. I think, I think that's okay to admit. I just love good horses. I love being around them. I love seeing them have success. And so, um, just like that, man, when she's 15, it'd be nice to go pet her. Like, the history that you're going to have with her by then is pretty significant. What are you going to do when you're done rodeoing then? It's just going to be the horse deal? Yeah, I mean, we've got seven, 800 head of cows at home. and Oh, I was going to ask you about this. Ranching, and I'm, I'm using air quotes with the word ranching, has become very trendy in the last, I, I don't know, however long Yellowstone's been out. Um, it feels like everybody wants, like, it's been ranched on, it's been ranched on, been ranched on. Is there, do you feel like, 
because you said seven or 800 head of cows. Is there a little bit of eye roll in your mind when someone says they've been out ranching on their horses? Because that is something that you guys have actually been a part of doing for how long? How long have you guys had cows? Oh, probably 25 years. Right. So this is not new, right? Mm -hmm. Is it annoying that the, the word ranching gets just thrown around as carelessly by people who are like, well, we've been ranching on them? Or <laughs> is there, like, I, I'm trying to think of a way that I can ask this that you won't feel cynical answering it. Is there, where would you put yourself on a scale from one to 10, 10 being, I love it. This is great. This is so awesome. I'm so glad ranching has become trendy. Zero being, you guys don't even know what you're doing. Knock it off. Where on that scale would you say that you, that you land when someone says they've been ranching on their horses? Well, it's, that's such a broad deal. Like <laughs> I think, you know, as far as me ranching, like it's work. So we don't it's just go, not cute. It's we not don't just fun. go it hang sucks. out and ranch. I mean, <laughs> I like it, but it's work, yeah. you know, and I think ranching on a horse, like it can be bad <laughs> ranching the wrong way. Like <laughs> I think some pressure is good, but uh -huh. like to me, ranching is a full day of work. Like that horse by the end of the day, like he's played out and you've right. used him. Like, I think that's what makes horses good. I'm not saying you need to go ranch on your horse to make him good, but I knowing think how good. to knowing how to do it is huge. I think it's good for a horse to go have a long day, like be able to let his air out, walk, not just, you know, I don't think roping wheat pasture cattle all day is just good for a horse. I mean, quite the opposite. You, you hear a lot of people say, well, he's been, I've doctored a lot of wheat cattle on this horse. And it's like, well, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> did you blow him up? Like, you know what I mean? Right. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad for one, but like my mind to go make a really good horse on the ranch, like he needs to be broke. He needs to be able to sort. He needs to hold one when you need to doctor one. But like, you need to be able to put your hand down and he can go walk for yeah. seven, eight hours. Like so when I was a, when I was a kid, it goes back to like the horses, the, the vehicles I drove, were not great vehicles and they were old and they were had a lot of miles on them and now driving vehicles that are probably less likely to fall apart it did something to me as a kid because like people are like i was doing 120 in my truck and i'm like i would never do my it, a tire might fall off i enjoy going at like a very reasonable predictable pace and i think that's transitioned to horses too i do not like pushing a horse to that point of frazzled Right. Like it just, if it is so much work to back them back off of it. And the times that I have rope wheat pasture cattle, you, it's hard not to get them close to that. Like you, you are walking a razor thin edge of like a tire falling off out there when a horse is like, I don't want to do this anymore, especially towards the end when those suckers are weighing what they weigh at the end. Um, if I, if I could put words in your mouth, what you're saying is it's the slow, long, steady, they never got nervous. They never got hot. They just got to go be tired at the end of the day without ever having the. Or, I mean, I'm not saying no pressure. I think there's times where, yeah, we got to go rope a bull or something, and you put a lot of pressure on them. But after that, they got to walk a mile. Yeah. You know, like, I think there's a balance right there if you're actually going to say, Ranch. this horse has been ranched on. He's ready to go be, you know, so. Yeah. Okay, last thing. What? Who is the best? I don't know how you'd even qualify who is unknown, but. You've got your Colby, who's having a good year this year. You, obviously, Dakota gets a ton of press. It feels like anybody that is with Roping.com right now gets a ton of FaceTime, which is fine. But there's a real mass focus on a few faces right now in the rope horse futurity or the young horse thing. Of the people that are outside of that silo of attention, 
and not to put you in with them. I'm just saying it seems like the 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 notoriety kind of puddles with a few names. Who's the best team roping horse trainer that you know of right now outside of that maybe spotlight? The guy coming up, maybe maybe it's a young guy, just somebody that people may not know. Man. I'll tell you, a guy that's always had good horses, he's a lot older than me, but he was actually at my house yesterday. It was Jason Ugarin. He's judged a lot of the shows. Been close to making the NFR, but, like, he's the guy. He's a real one. How old is he? He's got to be in his 50s, maybe late 40s. I don't know. That's cool for a guy at that age to, because obviously I mean, he went his brother the years. was Pook yeah. Richard Ugarin. Right. I mean, who always they obviously something. always roped good. Yeah, but even before I ever roped, my dad was always like, "Guys always had good horse." Yeah, you know. So, and you know, watching him yesterday, like he's. What he's stood out? If you don't mind, I don't mean to keep dragging this out, but what did he do yesterday? He stood just, out to you. I mean. There's no secret to making a good horse. Like, it takes a lot of time. Right. Like, if you do mash it into one, it's not going to stay. Right. Like, it's a it's a process, and it yeah. takes forever. And you can just you can just tell by the way he rides one that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. They haven't had it mashed into I it. mean, he might do something different than what I, what I want mine to do. But as far as, like, knowing how to train a horse, like, and I'm, he's not going to go – he's no reigning horse trainer or a cow horse guy. Like, I'm not sure how broke his horses are. I haven't been on them. But just watching how he does it, like, yeah, he's pretty legit. Awesome. Well, good luck this week. Thanks for stopping by. That was early. <laughs> I think this is the first podcast I've ever done with coffee, so it's all good. Appreciate you stopping by. Good luck this week. Thank you.